I'm in the ebb, which is going out. But lately, it seems like there's kind of a flow coming in. I had a remarkable meeting with a young guy in our church just yesterday, and I was just marveling at it. And then, just like everywhere we touch right now, it's like there's just this sort of exciting, a little bit of electricity. Does any, could you just raise your hands if you feel like, you know, you're kind of feeling this? Uh, you know, there's just something going on. In that vein, I want to ask you just a, a few questions, and one of them is this. How many of you would like, you got a friend who's, you know, just really in a pickle, or really in a jam, they don't know what to do and everything else. How many of you would like to be the instrument that God would use to bring to them a word of wisdom from him? How many of you would like that? Go ahead and raise your hands. By the way, you don't have to be Christian to raise your hand on this kind of stuff. I mean, if you've got a friend in need, who doesn't want to give them a wise word, right? And God can move through anything, anybody, right? If, how many of you, a word of knowledge, you know what I mean? How many would like to give somebody who's in need of it a word from the Lord about what's going on and so on? Would you like to do that? I want to get a little hand-high hand participation here for a second. Okay, I, I got one. How many of you would like to have faith so much that there's somebody who's really in a jam and they need a miracle and that you were the instrument that God used to move through to do a miracle for them? How many of you would like to be used by God like that? I mean, I hope all the hands are going up. Here's a really easy one. Who in this room, Christian or not, hasn't had somebody who needed to be healed? for all kinds of reasons. How many of you would like to be at least part of what God is doing in order to heal them? How many of you want that? Right? Even this, you know, how many of you would like to be used of the Lord to speak a word of the Lord to somebody? A prophetic word or to some situation? See? I mean, I just actually want to propose something to you. We're raising our hands about these things, saying we really want this, we really want this, we really want this. And the fact is, some of this actually is going on in the world, but not a ton. And what if the truth is that doing those kinds of things, and much, much, much more, but doing those kinds of things is actually the normal Christian life? What if that's what it's actually supposed to look like? And I'm not talking about the televangelist circus in order to generate all kinds of money. Okay? I'm not, asking, I'm not asking for stupid things. I'm saying the way Jesus did it. Where he came across people that had need and moved with compassion. That splunknitsumai, that, that Greek word for the gut turning. That, that they're in need. And, and, and he allowed the Lord to move through him to meet that need. What if that's what Christianity is supposed to actually look like? Right? I mean, it is. Well, let, me, let me take it a little further. What if God is actually in heaven right now, yearning, just like on the edge of his seat or the, you know, peering over, and he's yearning for us to simply pick up the weapons, the, the weapons is probably a wrong word, but the, the tools, the things that are right here available for us to move through us to touch somebody what if he's just yearning and he's going you know pick it up <laughs> you know that that person's in need you know do that minister to them i'll meet you i'll move through you i want to touch them but you got to pick it up how many of you know that that's exactly what god is doing he's yearning for us to enter into things how many of you know that we're going to get to heaven and when we get to heaven i mean we are going to see glories 
We're going to have all, I mean, this is going to blow your mind in every which way you could possibly imagine. But one of the things that's going to be part of that is this. You're going to look back and you're going to have an understanding of what your life could have been. And it could have been every single thing in Christ that you have ever hoped and then some. To things that you couldn't even imagine. How many of us want to get to the place to where we're entering in right now to the things that God has for us? Do you want that? Well, that's where we, you know what? Let's do it. Do you want that? <laughs> okay. All right. All hands on deck, right? That's where we're going. Our prayer today, Eric Lee, this is awesome. Eric Lee has stepped up and he's starting to, to, to do all over the small groups and really working through them and how they work and all that kind of stuff. This is awesome. So Eric, would you pray for this sermon and lift up another church? Turn on the mic. There we go. Okay. God, it's, uh, Kurt would say the same thing that you said, uh, which is I only say what I hear my father say. Amen. Uh, Lord, just speak straight through him. And I pray that those words would go not just to our ears, but to our hearts. Amen. And that we would see the, the body, this church, uh, rise up and respond and take action. Amen. God, I uh, pray for Sean Lumpson's church in, in Spokane. Amen. Uh, God, he's, Sean is, uh, was there in the early part of my life, and I pray that you would richly bless him and his body and everyone who is working together there. Amen. Amen. That was a cool catch. I didn't even catch that when I found out you were praying. Right there, that's very cool. He, was, he and Scott Chim and several other people were, were Jacob's Ladder. I mean, when I say they were Jacob's Ladder, I mean they were Jacob's Ladder up until 3 o'clock in the morning trying to figure out what God was doing and saying. Very vibrant part of their Christian walk in life. It's awesome. All right, so here's what we're doing. I want to welcome you to our new series, Graphics to Come. Uh, but bottom line for right now, Empowered. And what Empowered means is how many of you were here on the Seahawks Sunday, the one we did two weeks ago where we changed the time and so on. How many of you Skyped in too? Raise your hands if you Skyped in. There were several people that Skyped in too. Okay, and that whole section over there. <laughs> okay, don't know what that was about, but I hope you had a good time. But the point is, is what we talked about was what empowered meant. And here's what it means, real simply. It simply means that if God has called you to do something, that in the end, he's the one that does it through you. So being empowered means it's the Holy Spirit coming upon in order to do what he's asked you to do. That's what it means to be empowered. And that's what we're going to be looking at for quite a long time now. And we're calling it a Holy Spirit mashup of Luke and 1 Corinthians for this reason. Luke, of all the books in the Bible, Luke is the one where we see most plainly, most clearly, what it is to walk in an empowered way, the Holy Spirit anointing and moving through more than any other book in all the Bible. This is where we see it done right by Jesus. Do remember, always remember this. The miracles that Jesus did, the things that he did, he did not do on earth because he was God. He had emptied himself of his godly attributes that he might walk as a man. And it wasn't until he was empowered at the Jordan River, the same baptism of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit coming upon that is available to us, that he starts then moving out and doing everything he did. Everything Jesus did in Luke 
are things that we're supposed to be doing. And if you don't believe me, you might want to listen to Jesus, who said, the person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Even greater things. Even greater things. Really? This is the normal Christian walk. This is what he's saying. Because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing, and you can count on it. The same things that I did, you can do, and more. Now, this is what's true. This is, this is what he's saying. So we're looking at Luke to see how to do it right. Then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians to see how to do it wrong. Because 20 years after Jesus dies, there's a community that Paul, at the beginning of his letter to them, highly commends them for moving in all the gifts. And then has to spend the rest of the letter correcting them and how they're moving in it. Because literally, they're moving in it in a way that is the exact opposite of what God intended. Which ought to tell you something about the spiritual gifts. Satan is doing everything he can to pervert him into something that doesn't become the thing that God intended. So we're going to be a people who's going to do the thing that God intended. We're going to walk at this. I, I have an analogy in my mind. You know the old story. It turns out to be fake. But the old story about the secret service where, where people say the way that they learn a counterfeit bill is that all they do is look at real bills. They never look at a counterfeit bill. Have you ever heard that story before? And so we're just supposed to look at Jesus. That's not true. They look at counterfeit bills all the time. And they compare them. And that's what we're actually going to do. We're going to do what they actually do. We're going to look at what the real looks like and we're going to look at what the counterfeit looks like. And between the two of them, we're going to start to understand how we can get into air. But bottom line is we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because of the airs of charismania, charismaniacs, and all of the circus and show, what has happened is, is that people as a general, even Christians, solid Christians, have sort of backed away because of the problems. I want us to understand that anything that's good is going to have Satan trying to pervert it and everything else so that we walk into it in the fullness of what God intended. Because that's where the joy is. The thing that Satan's most trying to keep you out of is exactly where God wants you in. <laughs> right? So that's where we're going in. Okay? Now, the person that's doing this is a guy named Luke, who happens to be a doctor. Who, now watch this. This is a very important point for us. As a phys Here's the thing about physicians, okay? Even if they did stuff that, you know, now we kind of laugh at and stuff. Do remember, we're doing stuff right now that people in ages to come are going to laugh at. Okay? That's just the truth, Right? The point is, people that are trying to save lives, there are charlatans, there are some people, and people get caught up in hocus-pocus and all that. But when you're talking about physicians in general, here's who they are. They're people you really tend to trust, right? I mean, if you're dying, if you're really in need, you don't, you know, some people will go the charlatan route, but most people will go to the guy who's got proven results, <laughs> you know? This guy does things, it makes a difference, I'm going to him. Physicians tend to be realists. They tend to, they tend to work off of evidence, empirical evidence. See that? That's the kind of makeup that is in this guy, Luke. Now, what happens is, and we're going to see this in just one second, but what happens is, there is apparently, and it doesn't have to be this way, so, but, it, but as best we can figure, there's a, Luke is a Gentile. He's not a Jewish person. He's a Gentile, and he's from Rome, and there's apparently a guy in Rome called Theophilus who is apparently wealthy and of the upper class. And by the way, to be in the upper class of Rome is, again, mostly to be a realist. Rome is all about power. What works is what's okay. 
we'll, we'll, we have our gods and we'll do our things and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is, once again, it's sort of, you know, if it works, it's, we're going to do it. So you've got this rich guy who is apparently either commissioned or they've got enough friends that Luke's doing it gratis. But somehow, Luke and he have a relationship where Luke is going out and verifying all the things that this guy has been told. He's come to Christ, Theophilus has. And Luke is the guy that's going out and saying, there's, you know, look, anytime there's any religious stuff, you do know there's all kinds of charlatans and all kinds of people that try and pervert it, right? You do know that even now, when this letter is being written, which is 70 to 90 AD, just a few years after Jesus, eyewitnesses are still alive and so on. You do know that what's actually happening in that place is people are perverting it right and left. There's all kinds of stories and myths and stories about Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And, and so what Theophilus is doing, what Luke is doing, because they're bent that way, is they're going out and they're, they're talking to actual eyewitnesses and they're saying, what can we verify and what isn't verifiable? And we're just sticking with the facts so that we can build our faith on the right thing. Now, because of this impulse, Luke is a historian, a reliable historian. It said this about him in... Uh, where am I? What's happened here? Okay, Wikipedia. Based on his accurate description of towns, cities, islands, as well as correctly naming various official titles, the archaeologist Sir William Ramsey, archaeologist, okay? This is modern science and the way that they do the things that they do. He writes, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he should be placed along the very greatest of historians. Professor of classics at Auckland University, uh, yeah, um, anyway, who could pronounce his name, for accuracy of detail and for evocation of atmosphere. It's not just that he's getting the details and the facts right, which we can verify, but he's also getting what the, what the actual life is all about, which we're discovering more and more through archaeology, see? We know more and more what that life was like, and what he's saying is Luke stands, in fact, with the greatest historian of the age, another guy I won't try and say. The Acts of the Apostle is not a shoddy product of pious imagining, but a trustworthy record. It is the spade work of archaeology which first revealed that truth of how good a historian Luke really was. See that? The spade work of archaeology. Here's what they're saying. The more we learn with our modern scientific technique, the more we discover that Luke is incredibly accurate about what he's saying. All right? So now let me go back and just show you here, okay? So here's how he starts it. So many others have tried their hand at putting together a story, the wonderful harvest of Scripture, see? So a lot of other people are saying a lot of things. And history that took place amongst us. Using reports handed down by original eyewitnesses who served this word with their very lives. What does that mean? They died standing on their testimony, having been given the ability to recant of it. They said these things happened. And then they were tied up to four horses. For example, just one of the examples of what happened to them. Tied four limbs to four horses pointing in four different directions. And then right before they told the horses to giddy up, they'd say, now you're sure you don't want to recant. One of the most amazing proofs of the truth of Christianity that exists in all the world is that there is not one single record anywhere of any Christian ever, ever recanting these stories. Jesus rising again, spirit moving, all the things that happened, the miracles, the whole thing. See that? So what he's saying is, 
He's saying, so you can go beyond a shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. I've investigated all these reports in close detail, starting from the story's beginning. I decided to write it out for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. All right? So we got it? We, have we established a, a building block right here about that? It's telling us good stuff that's verifiable. Here's why that's so important. The first story that he'll tell us is about an angel. <laughs> well, angels aren't real. I mean, this is just all hocus pocus. This is all just that mysticism. This is all just that other thing. Well, actually, as I've said, now watch this. Watch what God did. He took a Gentile, not a Jewish person, who actually was sort of used to this idea that, you know, the, the, the spiritual realm, that God would invade the natural, material, physical world. That they're steeped in that, right? He takes a Gentile, they have a very quirky relationship with their gods, right? Very transactional and so on, but it certainly isn't anywhere near this Jewish understanding. He takes a Gentile guy who is being very careful to make sure that things are right, and what he sees and then reports in his book is this. The spiritual realm has invaded the natural realm. It's always been there. There's instances in the Old Testament of God doing miracles. But with Christ's coming, there is now a kingdom of the world, the natural, material, physical world. But there is a, a new degree of the spiritual coming into it. In an entirely, to the point that we as Christians are said to be in the kingdom of the world, but not actually of it. We're actually of this other spiritual dimension. And when we talk about spiritual dimensions, let me do say something, which is this. That's sort of a hard concept for people, say, 100 years ago to get a hold of. But the modern brain with, with physics discoveries about how the fact that there's probably 10 dimensions, four of which we live in, height, width, depth, and time, but there's another six at least that are, are totally impacting this reality, but that we cannot perceive. This is actually... A very modern thought all of a sudden. See what I mean? This idea that there's other dimensions that are having a real impact. And so that's where he starts his story. Herod's king of Judah. There's a Jewish priest named Zechariah, member of a priestly order, Abijah's wife, Elizabeth, who's also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth, righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah is serving God in the temple. His order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, now listen to this, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now, watch, well, this is why this is important. He's about to say that an angel showed up in there. If Luke writes this, people that were in that crowd are still alive or had relatives that were there. If Luke writes that an angel showed up and it's just, you know, some little off in the woods and nobody can verify it, you know, then people, you can be suspect of it. But he's saying there was a great crowd that was there and people can verify that something happened. See it? So the something that happens is while Zechariah is in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appears to him, standing to the right of the incense. Zechariah freaked out. I'm a priest. I'm, I'm worshiping God who is spirit. All of a sudden, this spirit, which is like, like the hand, see? You can't see my hand, but if you turn it this way, oh, wow, there it is. 
right? And that's the spiritual realm. It's at hand, Jesus said. It's literally all around us all the time. And it's mostly to where we cannot perceive it, although it's having an impact. But all of a sudden it goes, and you can see it. And all of a sudden this angel goes, and he can see it. (laughs) And he's freaked. (laughs) Which, by the way, is what happens to all of us. Even though we believe in this. There's kind of a hint on where we're headed. Zechariah is shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God's heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give a son. You'll name him John. We're going to be looking at all this in more depth, but what we're looking at at some other day, but what we're looking at today is this idea of the spiritual realm with the coming of Christ, the kingdom of God, the spiritual realm, starting to invade the material, natural realm. See it? I hope that has an emotional resonance to you. There's something about this thing that is happening that is just incredibly important for us to understand. It's happening all around us. Now, as a Christian, we do say this. We say, duh, there's a spiritual realm. Yeah, well, yeah, tell me something I don't know. Okay, I'll tell you something I don't know. We don't know. If you believe that there is actually a spiritual realm, I won't pick on you because I don't know you actually too well, so I'll pick on you because I know you well enough, okay? All right, so if we actually believe that there's a spiritual realm, right? We really do believe that. I mean, after all, we're born again, right? We've been made new by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us, and we are talking with God, whom we've never seen, smelled, touched, you know, whatever, right? The five senses have never comprehended him. And yet, we know him to be real because of our interaction with him. So we believe that there's a spiritual realm. Now, if that is true, why is it so hard to stand up at work and lean over the cubicle to the person that is coughing their hearts, their lungs out and offer to pray for healing for them? We believe that the spiritual is real. Why is it so hard for us to go to the person who's losing their marriage and not just, be, not just be a good shoulder, not just be a good word, you know, a helpful word. You do realize, you know, it says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Let me, let me rephrase that just a little bit so that it'll, it'll sound a little right to our modern ears. The kingdom is not just talk, it's real. It has real effects. There's real stuff that's supposed to be coming out of it. When we go to that person who is sick, we ought to be laying on our hands. Maybe they don't get healed every time. Do not ever misunderstand anything I'm about to say as interpreting it that God is the big candy machine in the sky. And if we just have the right change, the right amount of faith, and we put it in the machine, he must dispense the miracle for which we have asked. The, you know, we pushed A6, so I now get a healing, or, or B10, and I now got a miracle. See what I mean? Do not ever, this is much, 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 much more complicated than all that. We take that truth, though, and what we do is, is that we essentially end up living in a place that has a form of godliness but has denied its power. We understand it for ourselves. We pray and talk to God all the time. But when it comes time to talk to that person whose marriage is falling apart, your marriage is not falling apart. But when we talk to that person whose marriage is falling apart, when we go to them, what we mean to be is compassionate. Guess what? Jesus, filled with compassion, moved, right? Splunk needs somebody. That's an awesome concept. Filled with compassion. Be compassionate. Awesome. But there's one other thing that Christians ought to be bringing. God, (laughs) who actually wants to say something to them, who actually wants to do something, 
who actually wants to bring this invasion of the spiritual into the material, physical that they're experiencing in order to make a huge difference in their life. This is what we're supposed to be. This is what it is to be an instrument of the Lord. Not just his heart, his hands and his feet. His manifestation of his will through you, for them. See it? I mean, that's what we're supposed to be. But, you know, here's, here's the irony of this whole thing, see? What we do is, is that we kind of, you know, they're coughing their lungs out across the cubicle, you know, on the other side of the cubicle. God, if you tell me that you're going to heal them, then I'll go over and pray for them. <laughs> if you promise me. And, you know, do a little fleece thing, right? You know what I mean? I'm going to close my eyes, and if my towel turns damp, then I know it's you, right? Gideon, right? And then, oh, you know what? That could have been easy for it to turn damp. So now if it's dry, oh, it's dry. Now I know for sure. So now I'll go around the cubicle, and I will pray for them with confidence and faith. Now watch the irony here. People that don't know the Lord, for the most part, they say, you believe in something that I can't see, touch, smell, taste, you know, right here got to do is prove that he's there and i'll believe it turns out that people won't believe god can prove it all day long until he's blue in the face and people don't believe if they don't want to believe they can always find some way to explain it away but the bottom line is the person that doesn't know the lord is saying if god would just prove it to me i would believe and they believe that that's true and guess what we christians essentially say the same thing <laughs> if god would just prove it to me i would go out there and pray for that person and believe that you were actually going to do something right? I mean, we stand in a good, long, strong tradition in this, don't we? See, some Pharisees and Sadducees were on Jesus again, pressing him to prove himself to them by doing a sign from heaven. This is that, right? Asking for proof. Now, these are religious people, right? Now, do note, this is Matthew 16. I want to show you what comes right before Matthew 16. It's Matthew 14 and 15 where he feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He walks on water. Even cooler, he has Peter walk on water. I mean, one thing for Jesus, because we always think, even though he walked as a man, we always think, yeah, but he was God, so he could do that kind of stuff. But he has us doing it, too. He did miraculous healings. He delivered a girl from demons. He healed a bunch more people. He fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish. You know the reason why the religious leaders are coming to him and saying, prove it to him? Because they see all this stuff. Because the people that were coming to them are now going to Jesus. <laughs> and they're threatened by it. And they're saying, we'll serve you too if you can just prove it. Here's what I want to say. Proof. <laughs> right? But no, proof doesn't actually work. So Jesus replies to him like this. You have a saying that goes, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky at morning, sailor take warning. You find it easy enough to forecast the weather by looking at the signs why can't you figure out what's going on right now? Because <laughs> there's a storm a-brewing, right? There's stuff happening. And you're predisposed to what it is and what it isn't. And you are not allowing yourself to see what it actually is. I want to say something. See, we say that God does not do miracles to prove himself. I actually want to say, you know, 5,000 people being fed and walking on water and a bunch of miracles, a bunch of people getting healed. He's not subtle either, <laughs> right? He's not doing little bitty things. He's doing some incredible things, which we can look at one way or the other. We have that free will to do that. We have this capacity to deny what's right in front of us. 
Which is why he then says this. An evil and a wanton or adulterous generation. That's what's wanting the signs and wonders here. This is what you are. Evil, why? Because you're the guys that are supposed to understand about faith. You're supposed to understand how people can have the evidence of God in their lives and still choose to go another way. That's the history of the Jewish people. <laughs> and adulterous, because the reason why you don't see it is because you're chasing after someone else, and now I'm standing right here in front of you and you don't even know who I am. Because you're hooked up somewhere else. See it? Let's just take one second and let's just look at, you know, just a couple things that, that take place. Because this is amazing stuff. And then we're going to do something that's really amazing, okay? Look, Jesus, here, let me go back so you don't, all right, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Then he walks across the water. The people can't find him. They figure out, oh, maybe he's on the other side of the lake. So they go around, and they find him. This is wonderful. They found him, right? They came all the way around the water, and they found him. Jesus' response to them is not, oh, this is great. You were looking for me. Jesus calls out what's really going on. You've come here looking uh, for me not because you saw God in my actions. You're not looking for the person who fed 5,000. You're looking for the bread. You're looking for the miracle. See? But because I fed you, I filled your stomachs, and for free. You just want more free stuff. This is what we do. This is one of the ways in which we pervert miracles. We pervert the things that God is doing. We misunderstand what they're for. They're to point. They're to point not just other people, but us, as we're going to see in one second. But bottom line, look at that. See? You've got this... We, we just tend to be a funny lot. I'm putting myself totally in this category, by the way. This is definitely not a preacher who's, you know, pounding on the pulpit and telling everybody how they got to be. I got three fingers pointing back at me, okay? And I, and I get the three fingers because I'm more accountable to all this than you are. Why? Because God lets me stand up here and talk to you about it. You know who's even, you know who's, you know who's least accountable in all this? People that don't know him. <laughs> right? Christians are pretty accountable too. <laughs> you knew better. Why didn't you? Right? I don't know, God. <laughs> I, I just got nervous. You know, what if? And I thought this, and I was wondering that. And maybe it we wouldn't work out well with that person and... You know, and gee, you haven't done it in the past and all this kind of stuff and all of the rightful things that we do have as fears and so on that we're going to be working on in the coming months so that that's not in us anymore. So that what's in us is a trust. What we're going after is faith and here's why we're going after faith. Did you know that God will actually let himself be constrained by your faith? Did you know that he'll actually let himself be prescribed in terms of what actions he will take because of us? Now, that's not to say he has to be, right? I mean, God can do anything he wants anytime he wants. But did you know that he basically does what we think he ought to do and what we think he is? Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everybody's amazed. Look at, now watch this. Where does he get this wisdom and the power to miracles? Do note something. They did not deny the miracles. <laughs> They weren't saying, well, prove us and show us some miracles here. They knew that there were miracles. 
They had friends and relatives and people that said, hey, I got healed by this guy. They weren't arguing that miracles were being done. <laughs> Instead, what they did is they just said, they scoffed. He's just, you know, the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, his brother, James, Joseph, Simon, Judah. His sisters live right here among us. Where'd he get all this stuff? That's the little runt that was running around, right? They were deeply offended. About what? <laughs> Why? Give me a break. This is a great soap, right? That way of reading scripture every day. This is a great soap. Why the heck were they deeply offended? Because he didn't fit their thoughts. And guess what he does? Okay, I'll fit your thoughts. Jesus told him a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his neighbors. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. He allowed himself to be prescribed. Put in a box. You want to put me in the box? Fine. Even then, I'm going to give you a little something. <laughs> right? Enough so that you could get out of the box if you wanted to. But, you know, bottom line, you, this is what you want? Okay, that's what I'll do. I want to show you. This is, this is the cool thing. I'm so excited to share this with you guys. I just am bubbling over. I'm going to take you on a little journey here about detailed descriptions of healing in the, New Test in the Gospels. We're not going to do all of them, so don't worry. But bottom line is, is we're going to look at some detailed descriptions of healings. Do remember something. Jesus healed thousands and thousands of people, right? He would do a miracle. A whole bunch of people would show up. He would heal them all, it says. It didn't say he healed some of them. And some of them had, you know, he healed them all, okay? So this is what he did. But there's these descriptions. And we're going to take these descriptions in chronological order, chronological order roughly. It's best I can kind of determine it. And here's why we're going to do that. Watch this. Jesus took his disciples on a journey so that they would come to believe, that they would have faith. And the disciples have told us what that journey was so that we could take it with them. So I'm going to take you on a journey that I believe, if you will let this sink in, will we'll build faith as well as anything I could ever imagine. All right? So here's how we're going to do it. Like I said, healings in the Gospels. Down here, we're going to keep a running tally. See this faith mentioned? We're going to put a little mark right there. And then faith inferred. And then if it wasn't about faith at all. Okay? So the very first miracle he does, having to do with healing, okay, is Peter's mother gets healed, Mark 1. Peter's mother gets healed. Now, notice something. There, you don't have to, you know, nobody knows that Jesus is a healer at this point in time. He has delivered a guy already, but nobody knows he's a healer. Nobody knows that this can even happen. So Jesus does something to show people this can happen. So that's the first one. And so we're going to put a little check mark down here by other. See that? All right. Now let's take the next one. The leper. A man with leprosy came and knelt down in front of Jesus begging to be healed. Now watch the way. Watch the process here. Watch the language. Be, be, be observant. Okay. Watch this. See, the way that this one comes about is, if you are willing to heal me, I believe you can heal me. If you're willing, what's Jesus' response? I'm willing. Now, faith is not mentioned, but can we say it was pretty much inferred? Right? I mean, you know, right? This is about that, ultimately. So let's give it a check mark on faith inferred. Now, see, now watch. We're going through a process. We're learning something here. We're disciples. Okay? The paralytic. This is the guy who is brought to Jesus. The crowds are too big. They climb up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and let their friend down. 
Now notice, Jesus says, seeing their faith. So has faith been mentioned? Jesus is pointing it out. There's faith. Now watch. Seeing their faith, he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. No, wait a minute. We need him to heal the guy. Well, he does. But what he does is he says, look, I want you to understand that this faith thing, this thing that I'm doing, these healings, are pointing to something bigger still. It's not just about I heal. I'm not just a healer. I'm not just trying to get a couple of dollars from you because I can heal you. I'm trying to point you to something else. Read the signs. And the thing that he's saying is, I have the power to forgive sins. And you know how I can prove it to you? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your pallet and walk out of here? Which one's harder? By far, the take up your pallet one, right? Because I can say your sins are forgiven and who knows if they are or not. <laughs> but that taking up your pallet thing, that's pretty good. That's something we can all see. So he says, take up your pallet and walk. Now in this story, there's two things going on. One is Jesus takes the time to mention the guy's faith. Not Jesus, actually, the disciples are. And notice that the disciples, when they're writing this down, are saying this. They're saying, we want you to understand, he saw their faith. Whose faith did he see, by the way? Was it the guy in the stretcher? This, this puts the lie to anybody who would want to say this. The reason why that person died is because they didn't have enough faith. If anybody wants to say something like that, it's all I can do to hold my tongue to not say back to them, no, it turns out scripturally it was your faith that was the problem. <laughs> they died because of you. <laughs> now, that's not true either. Okay? And we have to be a little careful here, but, you know, all right, anyway, I'm going to ask. So, all right, so seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven, okay? So faith is mentioned. The man with a withered arm now, this is about Sabbath. Remember that first thing he was doing? Now, watch. He's saying, you Jewish guys got this so back. You can't rejoice that a guy who had a withered arm now has a good one. Because it was a work on Sabbath. A thing that God made to give you to rest to be blessed. You, you're so backwards about how this should go that you can't even enjoy that. So you know what? It's like it doesn't have to go with the guy's faith. It's just you with the withered arm. Stretch out your arm. <laughs> You know what I mean? Okay, fine. You don't like me because I work on Sabbath? That's fine. I'm going to go to people who like the fact that I healed somebody. Because <laughs> that's what this is about. Right? So, there we go. Okay, that one's an other. So right now, see, we're kind of stacking up on the other part. Because we're at the beginning. But now we're going to start picking up some steam towards faith. Jerry is his daughter. This is a, a synagogue leader. He's pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying. He said, please come. Lay your hands on her. Notice, lay your hands on it back in a second. See, what people think, the way that he heals is he, he touches them. It's that new age healing thing, right? It's like the aura and oh, like The energy comes out of it and touches you and this kind of stuff. So that's what they got in their minds. So he's saying, come and lay hands on my daughter. Heal her so she can live. Jesus overheard them and said to Jerry, don't be afraid, just have faith. Now, right when he's saying that, so faith is mentioned, we give it a little mark. Right when he's saying your faith, what happens? A woman with an issuance of blood in this crowd comes up to him. While he's talking to Jairus. And she's saying in her heart, if I could just touch him, and everybody's crushing in on him, and Jesus said, who touched me? What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. No, somebody touched me. <laughs> somebody wanted something from me, and I felt that. Then the woman it was me. You know, I've gone to all these doctors. I'm totally broke. I, I have this blood. It makes me unclean. I can't be in society. I can't do anything. I, it, you know, I'm in a horrible state. And what does Jesus say to her? Daughter, your faith has made you well. No, Jesus made her well. 
Jesus made her well. But Jesus who made her well is trying to point out something about faith. <laughs> Your suffering is over. Go in peace. So right when, right when Jari, he's telling Jarius, have faith, guess what happens? Somebody gets healed, and he says, because of faith. You think he's trying to make a point? <laughs> you think he's trying to get something across to us? Centurion. Okay, now we're getting into good stuff. See, we're getting on a little bit here. You know, we're at Matthew 8. We're sort of getting on to us. They've got a lot of faith going on, stuff like this. Centurion comes to him. This is a Gentile now. The Gentile, though, is well-liked by the Jewish people. He's got a servant that's, that's dying. He comes to him, and he says, you know, heal my servant. Jesus says, fine, I'll come. Basically lay hands on him, because that's how everybody thinks about him, right? And so if everybody thinks that about him, that's what he's doing. The centurion says, no, no, no. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Here's the deal. I'm a guy who has authority, and I tell people to do stuff, and they do it. That's all you got to do. Jesus turns to the disciples whom he is training, whom he is equipping, whom he, whom he is transforming, and he says, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. <laughs> and then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home, because you believed it has happened. Making the point again. And the young servant is healed from that very moment, so we give it another little check mark by faith. The woman and the crumbs for the daughter, oh, I love this story, this one I'm Here's, here, now, we're pretty far along, and Jesus is now starting to test them. Watch this. The woman comes. Bread. Actually, come on. Come on up here. Oh, do you mind? I won't. Uh, I didn't ask beforehand, so if you don't want to, you don't have to. Come up. Here, you, it's a blessing, okay? Now watch. Okay? Now watch. Okay? The woman comes. She's a Gentile. She says, heal my daughter. Heal my daughter. Right? She wants her daughter healed. Okay? I love you. Thank you. Now watch. Jesus doesn't say anything. Why? He's waiting to hear what the disciples should say. What should the disciples say right here? Jesus, like Nitzomai, compassion, have compassion on her. Heal her daughter. Right? That's what they should say. What do they say? Wow, he's not saying anything. Nothing's, you know what? Send her away. What does he then say? He does exactly what they tell him to do. The bread isn't fit for the dogs. It's supposed to go to the children. You're a dog. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but you hear, what he, you hear what he did? He did exactly what they told him to do. It wasn't in his heart to do that. See what I mean? What's her response? This is where you're awesome. Yeah, but even the dogs get crumbs and a crumb from you is enough for me. What's his response? Oh, woman, great is your faith. I can just imagine him going like this. Oh, woman, great is your faith. And then just looking at the disciples. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know? Right? Why didn't you guys get this? Your daughter was healed instantly. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. You got to clap for her because that's horrible. Be better than I can The deaf man had be my... Now, now, now look at this, see? The people begged Jesus to lay hands on the man and to heal him. People were saying, you can heal him. They were begging him to heal him. Is there faith inferred on this? Yes, that's why it gets a check mark there. But do notice who it is that's begging. Let me put it this way. Did you, do you have a workmate that is sick and in danger? You're the people. Beg Jesus. 
believe that he can heal and beg him that he would. Do you see it? Here's another one. Some men brought a blame unto Jesus and they begged him to touch him and heal him. Now, we're, see, we're doing some faith in first. But once again, see, you're one of those people. Do that. Here's another one. The boy delivered from spirits. This isn't technically a healing, but it so fits what this training is of the disciples that I had to include it. This is, a, this is a man that they've gone out and they tried to deliver him and they couldn't deliver him. And he comes back and he says, Jesus, they couldn't deliver him. Now, at the beginning, he heals Peter's mother. doesn't bring up faith. Over time, he starts bringing up faith. Now, all of a sudden, they can't do something. And look at Jesus' reply. You faithful and faithless and corrupt people. Who's he talking to? The disciples. <laughs> He's talking to us. You faithful, faithless and corrupt people, how long must I with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. <laughs> right? Now, they come to him and they say, afterwards they ask Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say this mountain moved from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Do you see the training, the seminary that they're in? This is real life, real stuff. The invasion of the Holy Spirit into the material, physical realm in a way. And he's saying, how long must I be with you before you get this? Because it ain't much longer than I'm going to be. So pick it up, guys. <laughs> get it. Right? Blind Barnabas, my rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see, go, for your faith has healed you. And I could keep going and I'm going to quit right now, okay? But look at this. Right now we've got eight mentions of faith. We've got three inferred and we've got two others. So that means in 13 total detailed healings in chronological order, and if we went through all of them, these numbers would stay the same in percentages. The bottom line is 11 out of 13, faith is either specifically mentioned or strongly inferred. Wow. You think it's important? <laughs> Why is it important? Why is this important? Is it so that people get healed? Of course. But is that the only reason? Is the only reason that God wants to move so that people that he loves that aren't us will be helped? Is that the only reason that God moves through us? Because frankly, if God just wanted to help people, he could just do it. <laughs> right? Why does he then move through us? Best Bible study in all the world? Experiencing God. God is pursuing a relationship with you. He's the one with his finger ray outstretched. We're the ones leaning back with our finger kind of, you know, we're kind of... You know, when you see somebody in need, that's an invitation. That is essentially God speaking to you. And here's the moment. When God speaks to you, it's going to bring about a crisis of belief. But God, I don't want to go to the other side of that cubicle. But God, I don't want to do this. What if it doesn't happen? And what if, 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 and what if? And, what if? and what all that God is saying is, you know, trust me. And when you trust me, guess what's going to happen? Whatever box you had God in is going to get blown up. <laughs> but 
Because in order to move forward, you're going to have to blow it up. With the disciples, he took them into ever bigger places where he was. He blew up boxes about you had to touch people. He blew up boxes about faith. He blew up, he just kept blowing up boxes until finally they started to understand, oh, I get it. You're the God that Eric Lee was talking about when he talked about the God of the universe. You're that really, really big God, infinite God. The way that we come to know God is that we get to places that aren't comfortable, but we have enough reason to trust him. May I make this clear? God does not ask you to suddenly, you know, right here, now you must jump a building in one bound. <laughs> Leap tall buildings in a single bound. And you've never even walked up one. When God is taking you to a mountaintop, how does he do it? One step at a time. One step at a time. Is it going to be a stretch for you? Yes. Is it going to be once you get comfortable in that, is it going to be another stretch? Yes. Because an infinite God is trying to take us into an appreciation of who he is. What God is wanting to do is to infuse our reality with him. His reality, his presence, who he is. He wants to infuse our reality. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to take one minute. Really important now. We're on a journey here. We're starting on a journey, okay? And at the beginning of this journey, you need to do something. You need to take a sober appraisal of the path. You need to count the cost of the tower. There's going to be crisis of belief. There's going to be stretching. There's going to be some things that are going to happen to me that are going to call me to places that I'm not comfortable with. But they're only going to be a step. They're not going to be a huge leap. They're not going to be, they're going to be one step at a time as God lovingly and gracefully, like he did the disciples, lead us into deeper places in him. But here's how we need to start that process. God, I want you to do this. He's asked us to ask, to seek, to knock. If we will do that, he says that he will be found and he will open. Right? So we need to do that. And I'm going to ask you to do it two ways. Here's the first way. I want you to take a moment. I just want you to just bow your head and I want you to pray and, and just think about it for a second and say, do you really mean this? Hey, by the way, if you don't really mean it, if you don't really want it, can I just tell you, that's great too. Just talk to God about that. You see what I'm saying? encounter him where you actually are not where you know you need to be as a good Christian and by the way there's people in here that don't know Christ and can I ask you you're gonna we're gonna do something here I'm just asking the person that's with that person just have grace and have mercy love them you know what I mean okay but this is a super important moment for this church we're on a journey and I need you to sign up right you're gonna go on a journey you gotta sign up and so what I want you to do is just make a consideration. Are you willing to sign up? And then when you're at that place, I want you to turn to one other person next to you, just two people praying together. I want you to turn to the person that's next to you. And what I want you to do is, is I want you to pray with them. And here's what I want you to do. I want to go on this journey. I want the Holy Spirit to fill me, to empower me. I want this. So you say that to them in prayer, and then the other person pray over them. God, empower them, right? Pray over them. God, empower them. We're going to take about four minutes so you, you don't get the 20-minute prayer of empowerment. Okay? You get the two-minute variety, okay? But you see what I'm saying? I want you to take a minute, and I want you, with that other person, I want you to say, 
I'm in, and the other person pray over you, and then switch it around. You know what? I'm in. Would you please pray for me? And then pray for them. One to one, okay? So start doing this, okay? Those of you who are mature here, do a quick little scan and make sure that there's nobody sitting alone that needs somebody, okay? couple more minutes. Another minute. I appreciate the fact that we're already getting back into family fellowship mode, but if, could you, if you could hold it to a dull roar for just a second so that those who are still praying can finish up and we're just about finished up. All right, go ahead and reach in front of you. Grab the two cups that are in front of you. Take that bottom cup in which is the bread. Lord, we lift up the fact that our lives have been broken. We lift up the fact that our lives are not the fullness of what you intended. 
And as acknowledgement of that, we take our finger and we put it in that cup. And I love this sound. Break that bread, would you? That's what we did to our lives. And now we look to the cross and see what you did as you broke your body to make ours whole. So we take this broken body, this broken life, these, these broken lives that we have, and we take this cup with a remembrance that you are making us whole. Take together, would you? And now, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this cup in which is the life that you have already given to us and we simply need to appropriate. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we lift this cup. And just as we just said in prayer, we now take this communion cup to say, God, make this my life. It's already my life. In truth, I'm just not entering into it. I'm just not, I'm just not moving in the fullness of it. So make this be what happens now. If you don't know the Lord, by the way, excellent time to say, I'd like to know you more. So please take this cup together that that life that he already has for us should become manifest completely in us. In Jesus' name. Here's your little assignment for the week. Ask God to show you who to minister and then minister to him.